4: Recorded live.
5: And in usual unpreparedness, Matt forgot to open up his dock. (laughs) Ha 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 so let's uh There it is. They running an AC Bubba,
1: what are you doing? Like the window open.
5: All right, uh, here we go. Welcome, everybody, to Podcast Winterfell. It is episode 300 of the podcast. It is my the number I've been shooting for uh, ever since I started this podcast, actually, to be perfectly honest. I said, if I can get to 200, that'd be great. But if I can get to 300, that means that I'm either annoying enough that people have to listen to me or some people actually like me. And so I feel like uh, whichever of those two columns that you fall in, I really appreciate you being here and uh, sharing this 300th episode with me. We are currently recording live in a chat room at TalkShoe. We have lots of great people in the chat room already. We've got a couple callers lined up already. I've got a couple of guest hosts, sort of, so to speak, uh, or at least temporarily with me online already. But we want to thank... Of course, Mike's amazing, Shadowcat Bex, Iontrone, Peter from Australia, Taryn the Black all for participating with us in the chat room. There's going to be lots of fun in there. I thought what I would do for my 300th episode rather than just make a, a you know, some kind of special all-encompassing Game of Thrones episode, I just let you all decide what we're going to talk about by doing what really kind of made this podcast Uh, different from a lot of other podcasts. Just do a fan call-in show. That's what I kind of got to be known for because I would just let people call in with their own thoughts about an individual episode each week. In fact, the whole first season that we covered, which was actually season two of Game of Thrones, that was pretty much all that we did. Maybe a little supplementary episode further on down in the week, but we would record every Monday after a new episode of Game of Thrones aired and we would have a great deal of fun talking with some hardcore TV fans. At the time, I was just getting into the books. I'd only read book one when I started this podcast. I've since read all of the books, and we're going to cover not only TV stuff, which we will do in the first half of this podcast, but we're also going to cover some of the more obscure Song of Ice and Fire stuff, probably as well, when we talk on the book side. You'll get a fair warning if you don't like anything about the books uh, before we go there. And if you're just a book person and you don't want to know about the TV show,
3: you might want to skip a
5: little bit ahead until you hear the end music bumper, and then we'll have the Song of Ice and Fire at the other end. By the way, the website where you can hear this great stuff and all 300 episodes of the past, and maybe even a few more, but this is the 300 numbered episode, is PodcastWinterfell.com. That's where I also have all of my contact and social media links. I love hearing from other listeners. I love hearing from just anybody in the world who has a thought about A Song of Ice and Fire or just wants to call me an idiot or just wants to say, hey, thanks for the work or whatever. I love talking to the fandom. We're all in this thing uh, way up to above our nose, above our head uh, in this stuff. And it's great to share the experience with so many wonderful fans who routinely listen to this podcast and chime in. Thank you so much again for doing that. I've said enough about what we do. I hope we have 300 more episodes. Uh, hopefully there'll be enough to do that, enough material in the long run to do that. If George stays alive long enough, if the TV series moves on to maybe some kind of little splinter spin-off series, maybe we can continue with stuff like that. But there's a couple of people with me right now who have been instrumental in helping for the success of this podcast. The most recent Addition of, of these two people uh, to the podcast, uh, came in probably oh, a year to a year and a half ago, maybe a little more, and she has just brightened up this podcast with her chippy personality, and oh my gosh, she's bombed this podcast with such a super amount of knowledge that I'm in awe to talk to her all of the time. We welcome back Kelly. Kelly, thanks so much for taking some time to talk with me today.
1: I didn't want to miss it. Yay. Congratulations. And thank you for having me and for letting me and everyone who I've enjoyed talking to you get to talk to each other through you.
5: Yes, Yes, absolutely. And of course, right when I started in season two uh, of the Game of Thrones podcasting business, there was this gentleman who would call in every once in a while who uh, was kind of funny. And I didn't really know if he was trying to steal my show because he was so good at this whole analyzation and making jokes thing, or if he was just a super fan. Well, it turns out that he was both. He's a guy that has actually produced a tremendous podcast called The Joffrey of Podcasts, and he has been instrumental in almost everything that we've done, from fan call-in shows to specials to book reading events. this is the guy that I've always reached out to, not only because his knowledge is so strong, but because he's such a lovable guy. We welcome back to the podcast, Bubba. Bubba, thanks so much for taking time to call in.
3: Matt, I had to be here for podcast 300. I mean, when I when we go back to season two, that's so many years ago. That's hundreds of podcasts ago that you and I, you've been gracious enough to let me be on. I mean, I think to myself back then, and back then I probably had about 860 Twitter followers at Fit and Trim, that's F-I-T-T-E-N-T-R-I-M, at Fit and Trim on Twitter. But now, after all of these, I'm at 863. So really, (laughs) you have helped me grow as a podcaster, as a social media presence, and really, we've all been here, all your wonderful listeners, people all around the world who love Podcast Winterfell. We do it because you put out a great podcast and you tackle a great subject with fun and also in-depth I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Matt. Uh,
5: It's a pleasure to have you both. And uh, before we start taking callers, I just kind of wanted to kind of get a general thought from both of you about where we are in the television story right now. Kelly, I'm going to go to you first. I'd really love to know um, what your overall impression of season six was. And uh, has that made you even more excited for season seven coming up? even though it's going to be a little bit longer of a wait than we've had in the past. Um, But are you, are you, are you uh, already counting down the seconds to season seven or, or how did season six hit you uh, in regards to how you're going to look at season seven?
1: Yeah, it, very different from the books which was in some ways kind of scary but the way they executed it was so exciting I didn't really care and I think that's the perfect combination that they need to hit to make everybody happy (laughs) you know (laughs) if they stray from the books I think the reasonable book lovers will say I understand and this is awesome tv and if they kind of take their own versions of it and make it kind of makes sense like I think the Sansa being Jane does make sense and it hurts a little to say that but it does you know um consolidating characters the way they have and some would say the door stuff wasn't great but we're past that six season six had none of it <laughs> so yeah I think uh six was a very exciting got me very excited for how they're gonna um do seven and uh, wrap it up you know like how they see it all a uh, culminating is going to be kind of neat and then I kind of like that the books will still kind of be the the dessert for us. (laughs) Uh,
5: There's one thing for certain for me and that is that um, no matter what's different or what's the same um, George's writing is for me what makes um, well at least the first I will say the first four books um, is what makes it exciting for me to get into the book stuff but Season six, as compared to seasons in the past, it almost felt like Dave and Dan were stalling, just saying, get this book out so we can do something. You know, it felt there were were many more, like splitting book three up into seasons three and four. Um, There's a lot of material in book three, don't get me wrong. So it was good that they did that. But uh, things move in season six and maybe even in the parts of season five, so much faster than they had in the prior four seasons um you don't i I don't feel like i'm getting wasted uh airtime with the scenes and the episodes have even been shorter which of course is a complaint just for the fact that you want to see more game Mm -hmm. of thrones as much as you can so
1: spoiled yeah yeah
5: but uh nonetheless uh what they're doing with the minutes that they've allotted i felt have been very impactful from scene to scene um but i bubba uh is that too much is it too intense as compared to what it was how are your feelings about season six in general
3: well when i looked back at the end of season six i of the 10 episodes i'd really only enjoyed five of them so only half of the 10 episodes had i really enjoyed but i thought those five episodes were super strong i'm talking about hold the door everybody i'm talking especially about those final two it ended on such a strong note I found those final two so strong that it made my overall appreciation of season six really shoot up. And it also got me so excited for what's coming in season seven. Now, there's a part of me that wonders if those final two episodes of season six weren't too kind of quickly wrapping things up. Let's wrap up, Marine. Let's wrap up the Battle of Winterfell. And with these limited seasons we've got coming up with shorter, you know, we've only got, if I'm correct, 13 episodes left, it seems like I hope I don't feel like we're rushing and we're giving the end part of the journey the same much we gave to the build but because once again those final two episodes just rocked my world so much I'm ready for winter it's here let's roll
5: right on very good bubba do you have uh, I mean I mean you mentioned the hold the door was that your favorite episode of season 6
3: maybe not my favorite episode uh that might have been episode 10 but as far as individual moment, the, the the part where I was really just sitting up in my seat, I was so kind of blown away and shocked. That ending of, of Hold the Door is a moment. It felt like a book moment. It was so strong and so powerful. And uh, it was great. And I hope the show, there's 13 more episodes left. I hope they give us 13 more moments like that so I can feel the rush of discovery and the, and the rush of, of things kind of you know, it was a tragedy, obviously hold the door, but things progressing kind of also logically and it, it built to that moment and, and that painful death was earned. So uh love it. Excellent.
5: All right. Um how about you, Kelly? You have a favorite particular episode from season six?
1: Uh, like Boba said, like there's a lot of moments that I loved. But the I think Battle of the Bastards where Danny and Drogo have their moment over uh marine was so like rewarding and it was very pleasing to see that because we don't have that in the books yet so it's like okay this is, this will be great you know this will be very powerful and hopeful and like kind of like that stuff that nothing things that you don't know is going to be like book moments yeah exactly like papa said they're they get you feeling things and the excitement and oh we put so much hope into some stuff like that so it's it was very, really, um, and the like, Tyrion was there and Grey Worm, and just everyone had like really strong moments at that, um, scene with the, uh, the, the masters, you know, that part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was glorious. I think that was my most hype moment <laughs> of the season. Yeah,
5: that was pretty epic. I, I think the one that got me, um, and probably more so, and uh, you, I, it sounds morbid to call it my favorite moment, but, um, to me, uh, Javadi really achieved an amazing feat with uh, the end of Hold the Door. Uh, I, I know it's very emotional, you know, to see that whole thing. I thought that, that kid that played young Hodor just did a fantastic job. Yeah. I was um, I was just on I was on the floor crying, um, but part of that was due to Javadi's score. And I know a lot of people like to point to the whole Light of the Seven thing. I've made my thoughts about that pretty clear on this podcast, Um, but uh, for me, music does play a a very uh, big role in how I receive the show, and I don't think that there's been anything more beautifully done than the way Javadi um, did not only the ending Hodor moment, but that the. Credits afterwards, there was a great uh, thing at the end of season three, again, very morbid, but after the uh, Red Wedding episode where, you know, just the silence um, Mm -hmm. spoke volumes. Um, And this, in the same way, um, made Hodor's uh, death um, equally as painful, um, yet uh, bittersweet in a way, because we received uh, so much information. in a a download of if that was possible with Hodor. I I love the way that got my mind perking. Um, But with that, why don't we talk about uh, if there's any specific kind of topic that either of you want to bring up. Bubba, I'll go back to you. Is there any burning question in your mind about coming out of Season 6 that you just feel like has to be answered or that you have a theory for or that you feel like uh, the, the storytelling has to live up to a certain... Type of level in order to pay off.
3: Oh boy, I, that wasn't the first thing that came to my mind, Matt. Uh, sorry when you started asking the question, the first thing that came to my mind is that I was one of those people who was upset that Bran, Hodor, Mira, Three Eyed Raven, and obviously uh, the children of the forest had, were given season five off. Oh, and R- R.I.P. Summer as well. And so it's season six, and their ability to take us through time. I enjoyed that so much. Uh, those were also some of my favorite moments of season six. And so uh, I guess for season seven, my own thought is, man, brand has got to keep touching those weirwoods. He's got to keep touching the roots. He's got to touch the face because I want to see more stuff from the past. I think after six seasons, I think viewers, readers, everybody still has a connection to those who we've lost, like good old Headless Ned. And so uh, I'm just thinking to myself, what else could Bran see? You know, Bran, yeah, okay, the army of the undead's coming, but could you possibly show me, you know, Rhaegar's dying moment? That'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs>
5: oh, Rhaegar. You, so you want to see, see Robert's Rebellion uh, get won there by Robert and... Uh, sure. Oh, well.
3: The journey at Harrenhal that we heard uh, described in the Winterfell Crips in Season 5. I, You know, come on. Let's do it. All
5: right, on. Oh, very good. Kelly, how about you? Is there any uh burning thing out of season 6 that you just have to get uh you have to see or is there uh specific things that you uh really uh, feel like need more paying off in season 7?
1: Well, I don't know if it's because you used the term burning but to my mind the first thing leapt to it was uh, Melisandra and I was kind of curious as to what what she, her her role in this whole thing she's been so prominent and we learned a little bit more about her this season so how will that come into play like it seems like that we were told that for a reason we were shown her her age and and her the her glamour ability for a reason and I kind of want to see what else that's been used for for some, like it kind of seems like otherwise it's just kind of a neat trick and has no payoff or um, impact. Like other than just, she's been tricking people and I guess that's, it could be, that could be all it was, but I'd like to see more of what her powers are and why she's been so important to this story, because there've been, that you have to believe that there's been other people with, you know, we've seen other red priestesses. Why is she the one that is, um, in Westeros, do, you know, uh, manipulating all of these people, like, between Stannis and Jon, and now maybe we're assuming Arya, but we'll see. I kind of want to see what um, her role in this whole um, epic story that for some reason, like, we get to be a part of and see, like, in Westeros, this is a big deal. Like, I'm guess- I'm hoping that this is like another um, The Last Hero or something, and that's why we're reading about it or watching it. So I want to see what role she has to play in that seems like it should be important and then my other since that wasn't i feel like that can be like one scene we'll find out what her role was and so kind of for a longer storyline i really want to see sansa um finish her arc in a really um positive way
5: and die a horrible death is it?
1: That- no <laughs> murder little finger
5: <laughs> oh you want her to murder little finger
1: I want her. I wanted to do this, yeah. For her dad, for cat, like just for everyone that he's screwed over, you know? For her aunt. Oh, poor Lisa.
5: <laughs> so what did you read out of that last scene that exchanged look between her and Littlefinger as John was being declared king in the north? What what did that say to you?
1: I've I've thought about that and I think it's, it's an indication that he has planted a seed of doubt in her. Um that she will have to overcome. Like that might be the final thing Like he might, I'm really hoping it's something where he, he pushes her too far when he expects her to um, betray her brother, her half brother. You know, I I want that to be the thing that, you know, he thinks he's built this relationship up with her to the point that he can successfully do this. And uh, I'm hoping that he has misjudged her and her, her stark, heritage is too strong for him to overcome, and that's kind of the, the realization that she needs to snap back to her family, you know?
5: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's a good fantasy to have of, of Santa <laughs> at least uh, out long conning the long conner, right? Yeah. You know, even if it doesn't mean that she kills him directly, uh, if it leads to his downfall, I think that that would be fun. I think that that would be a great deal of fun. <laughs>
1: it would be it. and she's she's made such a huge change already so hopefully that, that continues and it's not like a tragedy
4: <laughs> what's happening right up. very good
1: um,
4: <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> we didn't lose your audio <laughs> <laughs>
5: well uh let's go to uh let's go to some callers we've got a couple of callers who have called in thank you very much and we're going to start uh, with our TV-only talking with Mike. Mike, welcome into the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, what is how, what is? let me just start with this particular question. What has been your involvement with Game of Thrones? Did you get into it from the very beginning? Were you a, a fan who came onto it later?
2: Uh, yeah, man. I mean, I got into it like the end of Season 5, and I just binged every inch of show I can get in that one
5: time. Wow. Wow. So what was it? What episode did you get into uh, at the end of season five?
6: Oh, no, I didn't
2: watch. I, my friend told me about game of Thrones, game of Thrones. I'm into D and D and world of Warcraft. So that kind of like works for me. And I've been putting it off cause everyone's like, you know, it's not your normal show and all that. So I was like afraid to watch it. Finally watched the first season and, and fell in love and just, day after day, episode after episode, just watched all of it.
5: Wow, excellent. So you saw it in a short span of time, uh, which is interesting as compared to uh, once you got into season six, was it hard to to get back into the pacing of seeing it week to week as opposed to being able to binge all of the episodes one after another?
2: Matt, I'll tell you, it killed me every week just going to HBO Go, watching the episode, rewatching it, crying at night waiting for the next episode i don't know how you do it for years
5: <laughs> yeah we, we've spent a lot of suffering uh, you know um Seriously. and this is your first hiatus so good luck with that because oh, this is yeah. an extraordinarily long one um but what kind of thoughts have you come away from watching the show is there anything you want to talk to kelly or or bubba about or myself uh, in regards to the television show a burning question or uh just an th- overall observation anything well, overall, just
2: I want to thank all three of you for you know giving me such good perspectives on the show and everything, provide me with hours and hours and hours of time while I'm working, so I love that. But I don't know, like I like Bubba's perspective more than anything because that's how I feel. Like I feel like season six could have been, uh, I don't know, like five episodes, <laughs> as 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 harsh as it
5: sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Well right up Bubba? Uh you got a fan here.
3: Well, I've I've made your wish come true. Next season's only seven. Let's don't worry. <laughs> you can mail your checks to at fit and trim, F I T T E N D R I M on Twitter. <laughs>
5: <laughs> and, and and be sure to deliver him, you know, more followers than I have, which has evidently been three over the course of his <laughs> career. Uh but uh excellent. All right, um, What uh, about season six really hits you the most since you were having to endure it week to week?
2: Honestly, what I was thinking the whole time, I was just, honestly, just John being a Targaryen. I didn't want it to be true. I feel like I'm the only person that wants him just to be a Stark and have him come up with something different. I don't know, just that whole thing that's going to happen in the future with him and Sansa that... That tension, that you know, the ownership of Winterfell, the king of the north. I mean, I prefer him to just be at the wall, honestly. I don't even want to think about when Daenerys comes over because I don't know what the
5: hell's gonna happen there. <laughs> that can well, create quite a, a problem, uh, right, Bubba? Go ahead. Oh,
1: well, that was neat. I was just wondering, oh. like, does it make you feel any better, Mike, to know that he's uh, he is still part Stark, like Liana was a Stark, right?
0: <laughs> oh, no, yeah, <laughs> do you of think course. like I the mean, Targaryen not- blood? No, no,
2: no. I love all that. You know, the whole him being ice and fire, it's it's very poetic. I love it. But he's so Ned, I see absolutely no Targaryen in him. And I think, I don't know, it's just, I I hear everyone talk about things and I prefer him to be just Stark. That's it.
1: How much does it say for, like, the Starks, though, that this guy who's this prophetic person was raised by Ned and has so much Ned in him like I feel like that says so much more about Ned like it took the the lineage of Rhaegar and Lyanna to produce him but it took the upbringing of Ned to create him to the man he is I think that you can still really really appreciate Ned and and his influence um, through his legacy and I think you'll see a lot of that in the Starks as they kind of come into their own more so
3: Uh go ahead Oh, yeah. I have a question for Mike. Mike, I got a question for you. If Shoot. John if John had seen Ollie and and uh <laughs> Alist- Alistair Thorne, if he had seen uh them and if John had suddenly said, Burn them all would that have been, you know, too much or what you know, how how you know, he treated Ollie very Targaryen like. Ollie's last I, words were <laughs> <laughs>
2: I, yeah, I agree with you on that. It's just like the Starks, how they're so, you know, honor-bound, and he does that to the T, and Ned did do an amazing job raising this kid. And you could see all of the Stark lineage inside of him, but it's just like you saw it coming. It's like a, you see a train wreck, right, and you just want it to not happen. That's kind of where I'm coming from.
5: good. Well, you said that it seems clear here that Jon is your favorite character or one of your favorite characters. Who's one of the characters that you hate most? I mean, has it come down to like a a difference between maybe a Littlefinger and Cersei or is there someone else that's already uh, met their demise that you just hated as you watched through the series?
2: Well, I think the person most is going to have to be Sansa. I'm one of them fans. I I mean, she she has impressed me throughout season six and, you know, parts of season five. But I don't know, something about her storyline, I feel she's always portrayed as like this, you know, uh, just easily misled and manipulated constantly. But I do see her, you know, starting to come to grips with things and take charge and just certain decisions she makes. You see like she slips. She takes two steps forward and like, you know, three steps back,
5: you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, that, that, uh, that very much is the uh, kind of anti fairy tale trope that I tried to represent in our, uh, in our Sansa cast. In the fact that um, to me, Sansa is a representation that war affects everybody, not just the small folk, but it can affect um, someone of noble birth just as much as it affects the small folk. And I will agree with you that for a great deal of Sansa's arc, Things have happened to her, not with her, not around her, not by her, but to mm-hmm. her. Um, and that—that's a concept that is is sometimes hard to take as a storytelling thing. But I don't know, Kelly. You might agree with me, you might not. But for me, that is a uh, a huge reason why George's books and why the television show works for me is because. Um, there are just characters, there are people that you just don't you know, necessarily gravitate towards in life, and yet they seem to be in the forefront, right?
2: No, yeah, you're absolutely right. Kelly?
1: Oh, yeah, I was wondering if that was at me. Yes, no, I think I think making them main characters like that is, is antagonizing the reader and the watcher and, you know, forces you to empathize with people you wouldn't otherwise uh, care about. You know, you would look at them and, and write them off as a silly girl, but you're forced to see her perspective for so, many, for so many episodes. So it kind of does make it um, kind of stretch the, uh, I don't know, consciousness or, sport empathy, I guess of the, of the viewer and, and, make you participate a little bit more in something outside your comfort zone. Um, Or, you know, for some people who prefer just to have someone to hate too, like (laughs) really is just watching this person struggle and whether or not they make the right decisions or not, you can kind of live vicariously through what their, (laughs) what their faults are, I guess you can say.
3: Matt, I think it goes back to the first season and that episode. What was it? Just the third episode. I hope I'm getting this right cripples, bastards and broken things. And oh, that's who George likes. That's who, you know, Tyrion said it and Tyrion is the mouthpiece for the creator. And so I think looking at season 6 and season 7, I would say if your character isn't a cripple, a bastard or a broken thing, you're in deep trouble cuz you're not going to make it to the end. And so right now Sansa is a broken thing. So I think she's got a good chance to be around for season eight. Good work, girl. You go, girl.
5: <laughs> you have to have horrible things happen to you. Well, and uh, John, he's been killed now. So, what are his chances of survival?
3: Wait, what if he's all three? He's triple <laughs> threat. Triple threat, threat-, thing. <laughs> triple threat John. <laughs>
5: oh. That means he's bound to make it, right? one uh, but, of them.
1: but he's also everyone's favorite so don't don't get your hopes up uh, yeah, <laughs> george loves the tragedy yeah
5: so do dave and dan oh, yes. um all right great mike what else have you got for us anything you wanted to bring up uh to the panel here to to discuss
2: uh not a whole lot I'm, i just you know want to know what everyone thinks about uh you because honestly like the way that whole scene played out and you really haven't seen much of him since, like, it leaves me wondering what he, what his next step is going to be, you know, because he's he going to meet them, you know, as they're crossing paths or, you know what I mean? Is he going to just show up in Marine and no one's there? <laughs>
3: That's a funny That would be awesome. That would be great. <laughs> It'd be, Dario, Dario 2.0 would come out and be like, uh, you missed him, bud. Oh, but but
1: I what if, you marry me. or what if they go end up going through volantis and we have to you know, he basically or maybe they they trick him to go into volantis somehow and he meets because we only got like that one scene with the with the um the stone men Ooh, Is that what they were right, yeah. so like maybe <laughs> maybe the, the doom. yeah we could probably see a cool scene where um you know they have they're renowned for their fleet and how even these fighters can't withstand such a, a fate. That'd be pretty cool. Will they do that again? I think
2: just because that was actually think about that was not a bad place to visit in the show. I mean, do you see that happen again in the seventh season?
1: They right. I mean, they built the set. They kind of like set. They kind of like hit, I don't know teased us with it. I don't know. I feel like if they, that was the only time we ever see it was when Jorah is there, that would be a little disappointing. I I guess that could that could have been it. That's just what first came to my mind when I was thinking of <laughs> Euron going to to, to Um,
3: Essos. Had- they've They've only got seven episodes, so it's going to be like nine hundred and ninety nine, one thousand. Oh. I've got one thousand ships. Oh crap! Here comes that dragon. Yeah. <laughs> got one ship. All right. Here we go. <laughs> Cut down more tree, guys. Let's do this. <laughs> they just have to do like picture in picture. <laughs>
1: Yeah, all the, the whole tree that's on Pike. <laughs> I,
5: I know we have a lot of Bubba. I don't know if you and Catfish have speculated on this or not on the Joffrey of podcast, but I know that we have a lot of friends on the Small Council podcast who have uh, postured, postulated that there's a possibility that, well, if Theon and and Yara have Danny, maybe Euron would go to Cersei and try and uh, swing her to his way in order to gain power.
3: It feels like that is possibly one option. It also may feel like because now we know the end goal in sight, and because Euron uh, was really only in two episodes, and really, I think, if I'm correct, only in kind of like two scenes. There was a scene on the bridge where he killed his older older brother Balon, and then there was the king's moot slash he drowns and gets the crown. You know there isn't much time for him to establish himself, so he's got to go big or go home. And so uh, maybe Cersei's the answer. I think that's a good call, Matt. Possibly, we'll see.
5: Uh, Kelly, you got any? Or uh, you have a, a thought on that?
1: Yeah, that would be an interesting um, turn of events. I don't want to mix too much book knowledge. I think there's something like the. I guess the throne could use their their fleet. So I just can't spend too much time thinking about any of this without thinking about, well, what does it matter? <laughs> you know, the, the Night King is coming, so I wonder how much of this will actually come into play. I mean, I guess they could do it first episode. Establish mm-hmm. that Euron yeah. and Cersei have, have a- allied, and um somehow that plays into the, the Long Night that's coming, maybe. What would that take yeah.
2: Cersei's to to believe that? Like, just have Euron show up? Like, hey, they got <laughs> dragons coming. <laughs> like,
1: I think it's I think at this point she just needs any ally, and she's so downtrodden, and that she'll take something that makes her feel powerful.
3: Yeah, well, she needs more. Right she needs more allies so she can kill them. You know, the what is she truly right, the of right now. By
1: Arby. Yeah, the, the Tyrells and the and Dorne has <laughs> the city of Dorne has um, allied with uh, the the um, Targaryen, um, you know, in Essos. So I'm wondering if she doesn't have any other houses that have fleets, so she might have to. And if he just falls into her lap. <laughs>
5: well, and, and on top of that, know. I mean, Cersei's, Cersei's reign itself would probably be in question, right? Because, uh, I, I mean, right now, I guess, and Bubba, I know that you and I pondered this m- many times in, in past podcasts. You know, there's there's no legitimate heirs to the throne anymore, other than Danny or John from the old family. But the new family, um, there really are no legitimate heirs, so she's just kind of seized power. Uh, I would think that she would need to secure that with as many possible allies as she could get. Um, But what do you think Euron is going to do, Mike?
2: Honestly, I do agree with Kelly. Uh, Like, I do see him going to Cersei. It's just, in my mind, Cersei really has no worries right now. I mean, the High Sparrow's gone to her, best of her knowledge. I mean, Tyrell's really, I know she's aware of like, you know, how vast their army is, but like who's running it. I don't really know what her concern is just based on the ending of season six. Like she just took over. Seems like, you know, she's just running things very powerful and doesn't have a care in the world right now. Okay. Very good. Very good.
5: Uh, Mike, I'm going to let you go for now. Uh, did you want to talk anything about the books at all? Have you read any of the books? Oh, yeah. I
2: read all the books, the novels, and all
5: that. Oh, excellent. All right. Well, if you want to stick around for the, uh, the book portion of the podcast, I'll put you on, back on hold. Thanks so much for calling in.
2: Thank you, sir. I appreciate it.
5: With that, we're going to welcome in another caller. We're going to welcome in Becky. Becky, how are you?
0: I'm good. How are you, Matt?
5: I'm doing very good, and thanks so much for calling in and celebrating 300 episodes with us. I'll ask you the same question I started off. Hey, we started off with uh, uh, Mike just by saying the same question that I started off with Bubba and Kelly. Um, Is there anything that just really stood out to you about Season 6? How well did you receive it? How much are you looking forward to Season 7?
0: Well, I mean, overall, Season 6, I think Season 6, by far, my favorite season as uh, an entire series. Uh, I just thought they they really redeemed themselves from all the mistakes that they made in season four and season five. And just everything was so, it was just so well executed. So, I mean, I can't say any more than everybody else has already said about it. So, um but I, I think my favorite moment of the whole season was... uh the John and Sansa reunion.
5: Hmm, that was a good one. That first yeah. scene in uh, in that episode uh, was that episode four, I believe, or season yeah. six. I yeah,
0: can't... book of a stranger. Um, yeah, no, that it was finally like it was nice to see a star happy, even if it was for a fleeting moment. <laughs>
5: And, and I love the irony of that, because um, obviously, you know, by their conversation right after that, they didn't really get along too much as kids, um, which you would expect, because Sansa is probably most like her mother. And of course, her mother uh, absolutely hated John uh, for the most part. So uh, that 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 made the, the irony of that fact that as far as the two of them are concerned, they're they're really the only two left. Um well then they found out about Rickon of course and then lost Rickon but uh, I I love that and moment they, too.
0: And they know about Bran and Arya. Cuz Bri- Bran true. Told, told Sansa about Arya and uh Sam had uh run into Bran what was it like season 3?
5: Yeah, well, and and John's just pretty much ignored that ever since. I don't get that yeah, at all. Yeah,
0: no, that, that is uh, one of the things about the show. Maybe we won't pick them apart at the moment, but, yeah, no, that's, you know, oh, your brother just went beyond the wall. See ya, Bye. Mm,
5: I guess he figures that he's probably dead. He's probably given up on him, but. um Yeah. But yeah, in the moment, that was a very nice uh, moment for Sansa and Jon. Um, let's, uh, let's let Bubba came up with an, a good, great question for Mike earlier. What do you think about uh, Becky's assessment, and do you have a question for her?
3: Well, yeah, Becky, I, because this is the 300th episode, Woo! I want to know when where did you start listening to Podcast Winterfell? Was it after a, a real emotional episode like... Hold the Door? Was it after the Starks reunion? When was it? And let's see if that was a very special show for here at Podcast Winterfell.
0: Well, I think I started listening to Podcast Winterfell, oh, I think it was after season four. It was in between season four and season five. And I had just read all the books, and I was just basically jonesing for more Song of Ice and Fire material, and I found Podcast Winterfell, and I think it was right around the time you started doing all the um, theory and identity episodes.
4: Mm, okay. All yeah, right. Yeah,
0: so that was my introduction to Podcast Winterfell.
3: Well, Becky, Becky, you it just proved the... something. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, Becky, I was just going to say that you just proved something that everybody thinks, and that is when you need a push, Matt and Podcast Winterfell are your pusher. He's been putting out all these podcasts, and uh, it's the drug to keep us in these doldrums where we have to wait these long years for new episodes. I'll tell you what. Bubba has uh, suffered uh, more.
5: <laughs> Bubba has been wanting to be in a doldrum during the off season. I'm pretty sure, and I've dragged him back into the fold with all of the book <laughs> reads and all of that. Between seasons four and five, uh, Bubba, is that when we did the, uh, that's when we did the Feast Dance Tandem read with Mike, right? Yeah, and,
3: and, that, yeah, and that only lasted uh, as long as it took for Martin to write both books, so it was great. <laughs> to go into the podcast window archives and listen to that. That was really fun. You know, this show has inspired us. This show, you know, it makes you think. It makes you look forward. So, what I would want to know uh, from Becky, and really from everybody, is this is something we talk about all the time. This is something we've been talking about since the first season, first book. Who deserves to be sitting on the Iron Throne at the end? We've we've gone through now 60 television episodes. Who deserves to be sitting on the throne at the end
0: well we all clearly know that we've lost our one true king in joffrey you know no one no one else deserves praise be all
3: right you don't have to mute her mic that's good okay
0: uh no um I I think uh when all is said and done the iron throne will be destroyed and no one will be sitting on the iron throne.
3: Will that be satisfying?
0: Possibly. It depends on I guess it depends on who's blessed. But yeah, I think I think uh overall and I think in both the books and the show I we will move beyond this medieval feudal system that's going on in Westeros and develop something more modern.
5: Hmm, very interesting. If you had to choose someone to last sit the throne before this happens,
0: Mm.
5: who would you choose?
0: Uh, I would say... I think it might be John. Hmm. Very I good. think it might be John. I uh, I don't know if I see Daenerys lasting the uh, the entire series. Although D and D have made her the most infallible character, like nothing goes wrong for her, but. Uh I I don't think she's going to make it through the whole series.
5: She she Ke- Kelly will be the first to tell you that Danny is completely fallible. Dro- Drogon didn't even like her for a while. She fails at relationships, she fails at everything.
0: Uh well, we, my my opinions of Danny are very different from book to show, so maybe we'll skip that <laughs> conversation for now. <laughs>
5: Uh, that was more a jab at Kelly well than it played. was a competition <laughs> for you.
0: Although Thank you, <laughs> we have talked about, you know, the fact that she left Dario behind and she will need to form uh, more traditional alliances in Westeros. And my thought is, why doesn't she marry Sion? Beyond, well, you know, neither one of them are will be able to have any kids, so it doesn't really matter who she marries, because she's not going to have any heirs.
1: Like, just to block a spot? Like, so she can't say, like, to any one house, like, sorry, I can't marry you, I'm wed, however, like, I can give you a place of high honor.
0: (laughs) Well, that that just, you know, making that strong alliance, and, uh, or making that alliance stronger, and she's going to need to start building uh trust or not trust but she's going to have to start uh you know getting into gear with like Westeros tradition so and and who else is there for her to marry
1: yeah yeah i would uh, my only thought on that is how she like kind of just flaunts uh tradition wherever she goes like she just doesn't care she's like well, oh you've got slaves here you've got slaves here? Not anymore. <laughs> like, oh, women normally don't lead here? Well, too bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I, but but my... her
0: reasoning for leaving Dario was that she was never going to be able to marry him and that she was going to have to make certain alliances. I mean, right. I, yeah, I agree with you that she does <laughs> I... definitely flaunt tradition, but they, they kind of hinted towards her possibly forming a union with somebody. That's true.
1: It could have been a a. If not you, it's me. <laughs>
5: well, my my big concern about if she were to marry Theon is that to to me in terms of uh, especially everything that happened with Theon and Winterfell, I don't know that Theon has enough cred to really do her much good in terms of sewing into other alliances. Um, uh, he, he could be a placeholder in terms of well, I'm not going to marry anybody and, and still try to get other houses in line to just be. For her, um, but uh, in terms of sealing any kind of, uh, of real alliances that she needs, like she told Dario, um, I wouldn't think Theon would be the guy with enough cred to do that for. Her.
0: Uh yeah, that that is a very good point. I just don't, I just don't know anybody else, you know, for her to wed, and I don't think they'll go down the route where she'll wed John.
5: Right. I do. You I know. hope not. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I think we'll, even even if they're unaware of their uh, family ties, that still would... Walks on the line of too creepies, or <laughs> I think those <laughs> are words.
5: Yeah. Well, I wonder if Danny will ever get to sit the throne at all anyway, because um, it seems to me that she's the one thing that John needs up north to fight the White Walkers. Um, right. So... Like you say, I, I'm kind of worried that uh, she's never going to make it uh, back from the wall if she goes up there.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think she'll go up there with the dragons, and I think her and the dragons will not make it.
5: Shh, shh, shh. Don't upset Kelly.
3: I'm sorry. You know Kelly, what? Know. <laughs> sorry to jump in here, Matt, but if Daenerys really wants kids... I know somebody who's who's got a bunch. That's the Night King, you know, a king marrying a queen. It'd be great. <laughs>
5: that, that and was there there is your song of your ice, song and ice and fire, mate. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. What else you got for us, Becky?
0: Um, you know, not too much. I mean, my overall, I think my favorite storylines were at the wall and with the Starks in general. They're they're my favorite. I mean, they're a real crowd pleaser. But I, I know you guys were talking about Sansa earlier, and she, I think, her character has really developed so well in the last two seasons. And I know you, and I had agreed with you at the time when you bowed out of watching the show for a while because, you know, the the um the rape fetishization that that D&D were doing for, you know, just to have it out there was really upsetting for for us to watch, and it was really upsetting for Sansa just to keep being a victim over and over. But now she's developing agency, and she's really going to be coming into her own. And I, I was a little disappointed that we went the route of king in the north and not queen in the north.
5: Hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, I wonder if Sansa is just as disappointed <laughs> as you are um, Yeah. Uh, based on that last look, but nonetheless, uh, you know, Sansa has definitely turned a corner. Um, and, and as, if you guys haven't heard my talk, uh, on this, the small council podcast with, uh, uh, Axel, uh, regarding the whole Sansa thing and why I left, um, I do feel like that the the thing that that brought me back, well, first of all, Holly brought me back uh, just because there was so much going on with the show and she piqued my interest and I had to come back and see it. Um, But once I went through the rest of the episodes of Season 5 and even the beginning of Season 6 and saw that they weren't just going to make, oh, this is the event that makes Sansa stronger. It wasn't. She's still a victim. She's still a survivor. Um, And that was very important to me. And the fact that they, they treated that with the kind of of sensitivity that it needed to be treated with. Um, That won me back over as far as Dave and Dan are concerned. Um, uh, Baba, Kelly, any thoughts about this? Anything? Last questions for uh, Becky before we go back to, uh, I got a little bit of feedback for the TV section, and then we'll move on to the book section.
3: Well, well, Becky, I think you kind of broke a certain guy's heart by not mentioning him as a possible marriage for Daenerys, and it's Sir Friendstone, Jorah Mormont of Bear Island. <laughs> <laughs> he's, you know, there's no ring on that finger yet, or that? if it is, it's it's turned to stone. I, I'm kind of lost. Yeah. But he's yeah, legal. his
0: ring finger might not be uh, usable anymore, <laughs> but, uh. Yeah, I think I think uh that is a possibility.
4: Oh, if please. We,
0: if he if he uh <laughs> discovers the magic cure for sure.
5: <laughs> I got some things to say about that in the book section, but I can't uh I can't talk about it here, but I right. got all kinds of possibilities. So yeah. <clears throat> Um, At any rate, uh, Becky, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'll have you stick around for the book section if you don't mind me to put you on hold for a second. Great. Great. Thank you. Oh, man, this has been fun. Small but mighty crowd of callers, and uh, I've really enjoyed the callers that we've had on the television part, but I do have a little bit of feedback regarding the television show as well. Kelly and Bubba, we have an email from Megan who says, Hello, Podcast Winterfell. I'm sad that I am unable to call in for episode 300, but I wanted to say congratulations and a great big thank you for all the hours of great entertainment and speculation. I do have a question, which could be a TV or book question. I wanted to know how you folks feel about the possibility of the Seven Kingdoms actually splitting back up into the former Seven Kingdoms instead of one large kingdom. I personally think it's a real possibility, but I'm less certain about it than I was. I used to think that Danny would be too gentle-hearted to force all of the kingdoms into submission through conquest. It's one thing to conquer slavers, and another thing to terrorize innocent small folks. But I have possibly reconsidered that stance after reading some of the opinions on Danny's darker side. Anyways, I wondered what everyone else thought about the possibility. Also... Maybe who might end up ruling each of these kingdoms, particularly Sansa, who has connections to about half of the kingdoms through birthright and marriages. Thanks again for all you folks do. Well, uh, let's turn to you, Kelly, first and uh, tackle the first part of that. Um, I think that uh, Becky had brought up that there would be no Iron Throne, but that doesn't necessarily mean there wouldn't be seven individual kingdoms. What do you think of that thought?
1: That makes a lot of sense. And I, I I do kind of actually hope that I don't know if I chimed in when we were talking about it, but that that is my hope is that at the end nobody sits on the throne and just that that some stranger in the south doesn't have to rule and make rules for the northmen and and just the the idea of unity sounds great, but I think it works just as well when neighbors get along because they have to so just the idea that the (laughs) the factions break back up into their own separate cultures and still I mean they still um interact but you don't have to have like one person in charge of it all like it just seems so egotistical (laughs) it doesn't seem to benefit um people besides I guess maybe peace there is that but I don't know I, I feel like the 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 Iron Throne no longer existing, and the factions going back to as they were um, has a lot of appeal <laughs> at, the, at the moment. Um, I might just be in GNC mode right now, where I'm just oh, the North. Come on, guys, you got this. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, but um, yeah, and it, it just seems like the the, the rulers. Um, I, I can only think of like a couple in the history of the Targaryens that were that even visited the North and had any. Um, Knowledge of any like just the individual um, perspectives from each of these places, so it does make more sense um, that they don't <laughs> that they don't go back to that.
5: Yeah, Bubba, I know that uh, in a perfect world, uh, Joffrey uh, will stop. He'll unveil himself from faking his death and and become the one true ruler of of Westeros once again. Uh, but could he possibly do it? You know, Monday he's in the Riverlands using Littlefinger's teleporter. Uh, and ruling uh Tuesdays in the north and and Wednesdays in the vale and Thursdays in Dorne and fridays and you know uh and such and such uh but who do you see uh or do you see a possibility of the seven kingdoms splitting up or uh staying together, or do you uh see anybody in particular being able to take over any one of those seven kingdoms if they do split up
3: well i don't want to throw a bucket of ice water on this, but I think when you just hear the word splitting up into seven kingdoms, and then there are seven kings, and then you, know, you get this kind of bittersweet, oh, everybody was fighting over the Iron Throne, and now we're just going to go back to the pre-Targaryen rule where people were fighting over borders, and there were rulers and seven different things. Uh, I would want some form of democracy. We've seen recently how great it works in America. Oh, no. Oh, brother. Okay. <laughs> well, I, generally <laughs> – Generally, it would be nice if there was some sort of, you know, more uh, representative government rather than just seven kingdoms and then it's petty squabbles all over again. And so, I think if you destroy the Iron Throne to just have other rulers, you know, I don't know if I don't know if it works. So, I, that I, I don't see that happening personally. How about that?
5: All right, and I, I tend to agree with that uh, myself. However, if I'm going to give Sansa a place to rule, um, I want her to rule the Riverlands. I think that she uh, that would be the the fitting uh, place for her to end up because uh, of her Tully blood and because of her, uh, you know, the fact that uh, her family was totally destroyed by the phrase. Um, To me, that would be a, a very fitting place for her to end up.
1: Oh, if it, wouldn't it be lovely if she just ended up on Nace, uh <laughs> Miss Sandy's home home island of just butterflies everywhere? Wouldn't it be so lovely for Santa? <laughs> for
5: her to get the fairy tale, yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> for her to finally get the fairy tale, absolutely.
1: Uh, I like
3: mean, that I like good. that idea, Matt. Yeah, her somewhere warm, yeah. I like that a lot.
5: <laughs> <laughs> uh, one other email from Christine, and it's just a quick congratulations. She says, hiya, Matt. Sorry, I can't be part of the live show tonight. Just wanted to thank you for giving us fans such amazing podcasts, for being so special and tirelessly casting for us all. Have a great 300th show. I am forever your loyal listener. You are my friend. You, my friend, are amazing. Lots of love and hugs to you. That's from Christine, a.k.a. Cute Poison Tin. Thank you very much, Christine. Really appreciate that uh baba let me turn to you first real quick any final thought about uh the television series before we move on to the books part
3: well i think sometimes because we're so wrapped up in plot in story in in questions even i'm asking about who will end up on the iron throne at the end i think sometimes we get so wrapped up in these things we don't just realize how lucky we are and for just a month paid for by our neighbor. We get to watch HBO and this incredibly (laughs) produced show. I mean, this show, this is a blockbuster. If you've been to movies recently, what they put out is incredible. And on the schedule they do it and the fact that we get it every year, I think it's hard to believe that sometimes this is just a TV show because it doesn't feel like that. And I think the uh, all the behind-the-scenes people that you hear about on the Blu-rays and stuff, what they are accomplishing is incredible. And so I, I would just say that uh, this is going to go out, you assume, with a bang and not a whimper. And uh, I would just say I, this show has pushed television forward, the production values, the production model, everything. And so it, it is going to go down in history as something that really kind of – Took television to the next level. Took television to the place where all these, you know, seventy-two-inch plasma TVs we're putting on our walls actually, uh, you know, are, make them worthwhile. When so much of video and things you watch on your phone, this is this is big-screen TV, and I, I I just don't think we talk about it enough. It's been it's been great.
5: I agree. There, Kelly. Any final thoughts about the television show? And then we're going to see if Taryn wants to uh, talk to us about the television show.
4: Yeah just
1: I, I i laugh when i was saying that because i i actually mostly focus on podcasts to bring me back from that all of the time <laughs> i I, call, I listen to the podcast because i'm so just absorbed and blown away by how beautiful the cinematography is and how good the acting is and the costumes and just the settings and so i, <laughs> I actually can get so caught up in that that i i as you guys are talking about season six, I was like, you're right. There were some not great episodes, <laughs> but, uh, I can always just appreciate the visuals of it. And, um, and I'm so grateful that we have a community that we can level each other out about those things.
5: <laughs> Very good. Very good. Uh, let me get in Taryn here real quick. Hi, uh, what? Terran. <clears throat> uh, you, up, gonna, up? you, did you want to talk TV show at all or did you just want to talk books?
6: Uh, I, yeah. One question about TV show, but I want I want, told you to uh, really just congratulate you, man, because like I was looking for podcasters back in I'm gonna believe season four to like get into and be be uh, active in or whatever, and you opened the door for me when we, you know when I was doing the emails and stuff, and I really appreciate it and, and congratulations on that.
5: Oh, thank you, man. Well, thanks for being such a great contributor to the show. I, lo- I love all the stuff that you sent me, all of the ideas and, and um, the the hip links to, to some theories and things. I've really uh, appreciated that. You've opened my eyes to a lot of things that I wasn't aware was out there. Now, uh, what did you have for us in terms of the television show? What did you want to talk about?
6: I'm a bit worried and, and just really because cuz cause usually this the, the, now right now the show really doesn't have a villain yet and I'm uh like like the third villain in this little uh you know situation we have right now because Ramsey's dead and Joffrey's gone wherever your brother thinks he's at and like right now we don't have a uh a, a true uh antagonist other than surfing, which you know, that's kinda that's kinda of an issue. With is she really a prote- uh, antagonist or not to some people? But like that straight villain, like Ramsey was. And I'm just worried like who are they gonna make that as the villain? You get what I'm saying?
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't so you don't I mean for me, the hold the door episode um, humanized the White Walkers just a little bit to me. Um, I, now, whatever that tr- magical thing was that turned, transformed them into human killers, there may be nothing else more to it than that. That's exactly what they've been turned into. But um, I still perceive... Th- I mean, it's a little harder for me to perceive the, the entire White Walker races as not at least a little bit uh, victimized, but they're still pretty intrinsically evil. So um, that one, to me poses as a, a, a major antagonist for the world to face?
6: I mean, I, I, I probably got a little book knowledge here. I don't want to get too deep in the book, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Yara, the, the conflict Yara and her uncle's going to have. And, you know, he. he I don't want to get too deep in that because, you know, book knowledge on that one. But, like, I, I, I see him as a possibility, Mm-hmm. Cersei, Cersei is a little bit humanizing anyway, because it's. I mean, you could you could kind of say that she's she's doing this because she's trying to save her family, you know, tra- save her family name because she's, she's going by what, what uh, you know, t- um, i just went blank. <laughs> well, her dad um like kind of preaches and stuff, so she's kind of going by that, and she's kind of hurt by her. her her so her uh, kids died, So I kind of see, you kind of understand her point of view yeah. on that.
1: And like, I think her, her walk of shame humanized her a lot with, with everybody, gave her a lot of sympathy. Don't you think? Yeah, I, I'm
6: just, yeah, I'm here. Yeah. You know, I, was,
1: I was just adding to the things that I think gave Cersei some sympathy and don't make her as much of a top notch villain anymore. Maybe.
6: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, right, right now, to me, the main character candidate might be um, Euron on this one, if if okay. things hold true. So we will have to get deep in that. until book
3: time, time.
5: Right. Uh, Baba, uh, Night King, Euron, Cersei. Is that enough?
3: I th- I think Taryn's bringing up a great question in that this show has given us so many shades. Of evil, from the you know the the ruthless, cold-hearted Tywin Lannister, to the ruthless, cold-hearted Roose Bolton, to the oh wait no sorry uh, no I I think it's a great point I think the antagonists have to bounce off each other but once again I keep going back to the thirteen episodes left is it time for one of these protagonists to suddenly like we have seen, certainly Cersei's always kind of been an antagonist in a lot of ways, but has she just been pushed too far? Who's to say one of the Starks, who we love so much, won't get pushed too far? Who's to say that Littlefinger, for his behind-the-scenes machinations, might suddenly be like, you know, who's left? It's time for me to come forward with my evilness. And so, you know, it's a tough call. A lot of times I'm thinking of great dramas like uh certain seasons of uh sorry to go on a tangent but breaking bad but uh when there was uh the, the you know without spoiling breaking bad there was kind of this restaurant uh Br- doing drugs and and while he he was a problem for the main character you know you didn't hate him so i i think the show it, it's possible the show could be okay with just the remaining characters uh, and and nobody going any more evil than the cold hearted ruthless Night King.
4: Mm. Right on. It
5: could there happen. Be. All right, Terry. what else you got? Uh, that's it. I mean,
6: I got some prophecy stuff, so we don't have to get deep, deep in that. but I have a uh, theory about Ezra, uh-huh, but we can talk about that in the book side. side.
5: All right. Sounds good, man. We'll see you in the book section then. Yeah, let me check this. Caller from... Uh, Well, I don't even want to say where. People in the chat room can see where you're from, but um, who am I talking to here?
6: Yes, this is the late night president, Todd Moore. said, Boy, am I glad that you got that nigger off of your show.
5: Oh, my God. So sorry about that. This guy is... uh,
3: Apologies, um, everybody. That was terrible.
5: That was absolutely stupid. Um, I, I don't tolerate that. That was so
1: weird. Yeah, so random. we to to spend your Monday night, buddy.
5: Yeah, that's a a caller from Southeast Texas. Everybody call him Southeast Texas and look for this guy, and let's turn him in. Weird. (laughs) All right, uh, with that, why don't we end up the TV section, and we will uh, move on to the book section after the end music. But before we do that, I want to make sure that our TV listeners know where to find my special guests that I've had on with me tonight. That is, of course, uh, Kelly. First, Kelly, if people want to talk to you about Game of Thrones, how can they find you on the interwebs?
1: Yeah, you can look me up on the Twitters. I'm Kelly Underfoot. And shoot, Bubba, I'm coming up on you. I've got 170 followers. That's a triple-digit number. (laughs)
3: Listen, if listeners, if you want to follow Kelly on Twitter, just follow her at Fit and Trim, <laughs> F I T T E N T R I M, at Fit and Trim on Twitter. Yes, I have the best best tweets.
5: <laughs> yeah, you have to wait for it. Kelly's whole motto is "Wait for it." And then not every other, you know,
4: Once six or, so. or seventh
5: month a tweet comes out, but she does respond to people who tweet at her most of the time. Lovely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Bubba, you of course have the fantastic Double P Podcast Network which has been very busy this fall with all kinds of podcasts about like Ash versus the Evil Dead The Strain uh, Twin Peaks, there's all kinds of things going on on the Double P Podcast Network if you want to tell anybody about that and where they can find you on Twitter that's F-I-T-T-E-N-T-R-I-M where they can find you on Twitter uh, feel free to do so
3: Yeah, everybody, I got inspired by this 300-episode podcaster, Matt, on Podcast Winterfell. And so I've spun off some shows. If you like uh, great TV shows, and apparently you do because you're listening to this, go to Facebook.com slash double P podcast. That's the word double, the single letter P, the word podcast, plural. Facebook.com slash double P podcast to find out about all of our podcasts, including one we just launched about Twin Peaks. It's entitled Twin Peaks, the gifted and the damned. Find it on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And we were all inspired by a guy I like to call, Double M, Matt Murdick.
5: It's all my fault, folks. It's all my fault. And you can, of course, follow me at F-I-T-T-E-N-T-R-I-M. There's Axel Foley to tell you all the rest. Okay, folks, we are now in the books section of the podcast. So if you are TV only in the chat room or listening and you don't want to know about some of the side stories that we may be talking about in terms of the books or um, what we might prognosticate about in terms of the, uh, of the series in relation to the books, then um, this is the uh, place to drop off, and we appreciate you listening. Thanks so much. In the meantime, I'm going to turn back to Kelly, because she's just been uh, writing thousands and thousands of pages, five times faster than George R. R. Martin can even think them up regarding the Grand Northern Conspiracy Podcast, which will be coming up very soon for you listeners uh, before the Christmas break. But, uh, Kelly, uh, a song of ice and fire, random thought, what's coming on?
1: Well, off the top of my head, of course, it's going to be GNC related. Um, just I just sticks out of my brain. Uh, the, the hooded man? I don't know. <laughs> Oh, that one will always bother me. I think about it once a week. I promise. Like, like, who is that guy? <laughs>
5: <laughs> How would he know that Theon was a kin slayer?
1: I know. Don't get me started. I've been down this road. <laughs> I know it's it's um, something that I hope we do find out about. Um, there, there's theories that it could have been Hothar. There's theories that it, that I didn't re- think about until I started getting super deep into Hothar or Umber, and there's possibilities. I know it's um it's it's probably not Harwood Stout. I've ruled him out. He only has one arm. So. <laughs> <laughs> so that only leaves every other character that's at Winterfell and then possibly any that infiltrated. So we're we're getting close to figuring it out, guys. <laughs> oh, but I just love little mysteries like that, Matt. I don't know.
5: <laughs> Very good. Baba, do you have a uh, – I know it's been forever since we did the Feast Dance tandem read, but I don't even remember if we talked about who that person was or not.
3: Yeah, no, we did We did hypothesize. I think we don't currently have enough information to truly guess who it is. And uh, the breaking news on a blog post George R. R. Martin put up today, he said he's really slowing down his convention appearances in 2017 until the book is finished. Oh, my Lord.
0: Oh, my Lord, you're <laughs> not
3: done yet. Ay. yeah, 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 yeah. I would say that the TV show, since we just finished the TV show section, and now turning to the books, you, I start thinking about, well, the TV show is doing things, and I enjoyed them. I certainly enjoyed the uh, the bye-bye sept in the final episode of season six, but we learned in the books that the wildfire got uh, removed from underneath the sept. So you wonder how are things going to go down? Probably the same result. Probably bad news for House Turrell. Probably, certainly bad news for the High Sparrow. Uh, Certainly, it wouldn't seem from the quagmire that's currently in Marine that it could be solved as simply as, hey, Daenerys comes back, the dragons roast everybody, and now it's okay to leave when before she had dragons and they could still uprise in the city. So those questions are really kind of striking me about, well, how can the book end up in the same place as the show? And that's probably where my book questioning goes. I I can't wait for this book, but mainly because it doesn't exist yet George and so I don't know I the theories I, I've kind of gone over them too much It's it's been too long since that last book went out and, and we need it we need we need this sixth book we need the winds of winter I know George wants to give it to us but he's got he's got to find a way to finish it.
5: that is one thing that I'm finding kind of frustrating about the fandom right now it's like uh we've all kind of exhausted the main kind of theories and um, now just in, in, more as a mental exercise, we're, we're starting to embrace things that probably are just not even likely to be acknowledged, um, you know, or, or a certain piece being fit in or, or not, uh, at a certain point, uh, which is fine. I mean, that's, that's a great marketing strategy. Everybody can be right that way. Right. Um, but, uh, to me, it's a little frustrating too, because now I'm wasting a lot of time reading things and then getting about halfway through it and going, nah, Nah, <laughs> you know, so uh, the overreaction due to the lack of material, I think, is, is something that uh, all book fans need to be a little bit wary of. In terms of how it relates to the television show, um, let, let me ask you this, Kelly, because we saw Tyrion get along okay with dragons. Do you feel like that was any kind of way of Dave and Dan making a nod towards the A plus J?
1: I would say yes. But since I don't think they put any of those um, other clues, like the saddle, I don't believe he was in the show. No. Did he bring that? The saddle wasn't in the show. The you are not my son you're No Son of Mine, I don't think was in the show. Just some of those clues that were so key to the formation of that, um, they may just kind of bypass that and say, whatever, Tyrion's riding a dragon. <laughs> and it's, it will work, because in the book, George laid those clues, and for the show, it's just good enough that everyone loves Tyrion, and hell yeah, we want him to ride a dragon.
5: <laughs> so in the books, do you believe that uh, Tyrion is, is a secret target or not?
1: I would not be disappointed if it were to be true. I'll say okay. that like i believe I believe enough evidence is is present that it could happen, and so if it does, I'll say fair enough, <laughs> you know, but I, I won't be like like with wax, I' just I'm so sick of this kid who just showed up out of nowhere and gave all of this plot you know merit so some of that stuff I think is in like um. Phagon. I'm just like, come on. Like he came out of nowhere. There were no clues. But since there have been clues for um I guess if you want to stretch the imagination for uh or at least foreshadowing, at least somewhere in, in the book, it does kind of um pay off a little bit that he's a secret targ.
5: Uh are you referring to the Daenerys vision in House of the Undying?
1: Uh no. Oh, okay. What 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 part of that? Well oh,
5: it's just the gonna... the cloth dragon
1: thing oh um this and the perfumed finish and all of that or no that... no
5: no no from house of the undying and um uh didn't she yeah see, yeah yeah, Go
1: ahead.
5: yeah I, I thought that she one of the visions was that she had seen a, a cloth dragon waving and crowds cheering and that kind of
1: thing okay but so i think that's related to her later um talk with Quaithe about the mummer's dragon right it's in some theories, I guess those relate back. Right. to Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, yeah. that's where my brain went. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah, I guess it could. It could be like a, another little um, hidden clue that we'll look back on and say, "Oh, there it was in front of us the whole time." <laughs>
5: we'll have to see how Fagan does uh, as he's marching uh, through the streets. I guess before somebody uh, okay. takes him out. I know Bubba's not a big fan of the whole Fagan thing. He just no. he, uh, he you know because George wasted a whole bunch of pages on nothing.
3: Um, Yeah, in some ways I I do think that, Matt. In some ways I do think there's a reason why the show said, oh, brother, we're not going down this rabbit hole. And so uh, hopefully it'll pay off in the book. For me, it hasn't yet paid off in the book is all I'll say about that. And a bunch of stories, to be honest, in the book so far. I was going to say, since uh, we keep hearing in the chat room, I want to give a shout out to all the people in the chat room, like Peter, down, in, down under Australia, and Iron Drone, and everybody in the chat room. Keep talking about GNC. How does John being crowned king in the North on the show, how does that square with the GNC? Oh,
1: why why you got to do this to me? You know we're going to talk about this. <laughs> we haven't gotten to it yet. But but I want you to be on the GNC podcast. I'm going to put you on the spot <laughs>
3: finally well how about the, how about give us a spoiler how, give us a kind of a taste of it how will that tie together Rob's will or what what's it going to be
1: the how does the Rob or i'm sorry say the, the question again like how does the the
3: how does John getting crowned king in the north how does that what's the end to that in the GNC is it rob's will or or how does how does that fit with the GNC
1: yeah, the the initial premise is that Rob named an heir at a hagsmire and uh, that Mage Mormont and Galba Glover made it to the Neck and to um, sent word to their <laughs> relatives at Deepwood Mott, uh or at, at um, Bear Island, which made it to Deepwood Mott and just to uh, Galba Glover, sent it to Robba Glover, who took it to Manderley, and now they all know.
5: And to give you a preview of what I will be like during the GNC podcast. (laughs) Cricket. Yes, you got an an end result and it does absolutely nothing to prove this massive conspiracy of all of these countries or all of these areas of the north uh, working together uh, to install John as king. What happened was John won a battle at Winterfell and then there was a big meeting and one girl stood up and everybody said, okay. So to me, it it, it, def- it deflates the GNC. Well, how about you, Bubba?
3: Well, Matt, sorry, just by mentioning that one girl, a highlight, a gosh forsaken highlight of season six. Uh, that's where I'm going. Do you think that is there a chance that she will show up in the books? Wouldn't that be great? Can she be as great on the page as she is on the screen? That's what I want to see.
5: I, I don't know if she can be as great on the page as she can be on the screen in George's phase of writing now, because you'll have a 1,500-page uh, description of her, and then she'll say two words.
1: You'll have know, inner monologue. Yeah, no, I, and the, the more complicated part is like, how does Sansa even get there? I think that'll be completely different in the book than it than it was in the show. Like, that seems very. I mean, Sansa seems ingrained in the in the veil right now because she has to get married and. John's going to probably, like, the Battle of Winterfell has to happen, and it just doesn't seem to be a very big focal point. Um, I think the GNC culminating is really, <laughs> spoiler alert for the GNC episodes, but I really think it's just culminating in, in the unification of all of these lords that for a common cause. I don't think it's going to matter, because I think the... Um, the long winters or the the long nights coming. So it what it does is it prepares them all by focusing their efforts on one cause. So they lose the fewest forces instead of this fractured fighting. So they do ha- stand a chance to fight.
3: Mm-hmm. It's the mm-hmm. only
1: thing I think it serves
3: to do. <laughs> and listeners, that's a little taste of the next, <laughs> next GNC podcast that is coming down the pike here on Winterfell Pod.
1: I still think it's exciting, though. (laughs) I think it's intriguing, and I think it's possible, and that makes it exciting.
5: (laughs) Very good. Very good. Well, why don't we bring in uh, our callers back again with any thoughts that they have about A Song of Ice and Fire. We'll turn back to Mike. Mike, thanks again for joining us in the book side of the podcast. Um, A Song of Ice and Fire thoughts. You've read... I am assuming uh, all of the books proper. Have you read The Duncan Eggs, The Princess and the Queen, all of that stuff as well?
2: Uh as weird as it is, the only one I did not read was The Princess and the Queen because if it's much like, you know, uh what was that one that was in uh Rogues? I forgot. Some prince, I forgot the name of it.
1: it. Is the Rogue Prince, wasn't
2: it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Rogue Prince. That's the that one Duncan Egg. Uh, I even read uh, most of World of Ice and Fire. I didn't get to the Princess oh, and the Queen yet.
5: Why not? Right well, uh, I'm sure that Bubba will tell you not to uh, read the Princess <laughs> and the Queen.
1: I think it's better than Rogue Prince. Don't don't get the yeah.
3: It, yeah, it's better than Rogue Prince, which is a bit like being a white is better than uh, losing your head like Ned. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, now I got to give it to <laughs>
1: him. Oh well, yeah, is, is the Rogue Prince also read by Jora? I think um, the the audiobook?
2: No, I think it's Roy DeTrees. Oh. So yeah, sorry? I'm pretty sure it's Roy DeTrees.
5: Oh, Roy DeTrees wrote oh, okay. read the the Rogue Prince as well. Very cool. Yes, I Very believe cool. so. Very cool.
1: I know Jora Jora read them. I forget the actor's name. Sorry.
5: <laughs> I, that's that's uh, Ian Glenn, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. his voice is beautiful i'll represent ladies i'll, 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 I'll identify it. i'll call it out
5: nobody likes jorah but everybody likes ian that's the way it goes <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh well what do you got for us mike what do you, you want to uh talk about
2: uh i mean hearing you guys talk inspiring me a lot honestly and my biggest thing i was thinking about now is who's more likely to be a targaryen is it jamie and cersei or Tyrion? because the advances aries you know was having with Joanna wasn't that pre Jamie and Cersei
5: Yeah and she actually was taken away uh I mean it was on on Tywin and and Joanna's wedding night Ares took liberties but um if you look at the dates of the world of ice and fire it seems the place the possibility more with Tyrion because it seems like Joanna was back in King's Landing's court at the time that, uh, that happened, um, or, and was away at, uh, Casterly Rock when Jamie and, uh, Cersei were born. I don't know which to believe. I, I mean, you can look at the, you can look at the traits, um, as far as uh, Jamie and Cersei having the, the the whole incestual thing going, but that could have just been because of the trauma of their childhood. Um, either, either way, for me, uh, would work. Um, but I think if you're going to have someone who could actually be a successor to the Iron Throne in one way or another, even if it's just being a bastard... I'd prefer uh, Tyrion because he, he's a broken thing and and a bastard and somewhat of a cripple. He's a three for three, too, Bubba.
3: Oh, dear Lord. Do I need to pull out an old <laughs> classic from the very first podcast, Winterfells about my thoughts about Theon? No, I hate Theon! Theon. <laughs> yeah, but do you hate
5: evil Uncle Tyrion as much as you hate Theon?
3: I have to have some hot tea before I say what I think about that little limp. But uh, <laughs> calm yourself. But I always thought, uh, I always thought, number one, I didn't want either any L- Lannister sibling to be a Targaryen. I thought it cheapened all of them in some way. To me, it makes more logical sense if the twins are, but based on things that the co-authors of the World of Ice and Fire keep hinting, it seems like you can rule them out. It, to me, what I read in the book, it, it, to me it didn't rule them out, yeah. but they seem to, in their own mind, and now what's funny is they wrote this book with George and yet still don't know everything, but they seem to rule out Jaime and Cersei, and they seem to think, if any of these kids are the bad king, he
5: Hang on a second. Okay. Mike, you got a a train or something going on there? Um, I put you on – could you say that last part again, Bubba? Sorry.
3: Just that based on the way the co-authors of the World of Ice and Fire are saying – now, they claim not to know, but they claim based on what they've read and seen that the timing can't work out for Jamie and Cersei to be the Mad King's children. Now, in the World of Ice and Fire that I read, I, I didn't see anything that necessarily cut that off entirely. But they seem to imply that if any child of Joanna Lannister's is from the Mad Kings, it would have been Tyrion. I hate that idea, but I do have to admit there is enough uh, evidence, there are enough clues that you can quote-unquote do the math on so that you could see Tyrion Targaryen being a possibility.
5: I have been waiting all episode to hear you say, do the math. (laughs) I have been. Uh, That that's my favorite Bubba phrase. Do the math. He taught me. Bubba taught me how to do the math. Uh, Mike, sorry I had to put you on hold there. Uh, You had like a train sound or something coming through there, so I had to some kind of beeping. So I had to put you on hold. But uh, hopefully you could hear Bubba's answer there.
2: Oh no, yeah, I heard, and I agree with him entirely. I do see all the footwork George tends to put down to go in either direction, honestly, or none at all.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Um you, you see so many posts now in uh in in the Westeros.org site of uh, of just how everybody's just hates, you know, everybody's coming up with a new secret Targ for crying out loud. I, I think uh I think there there might be a secret Targ faceless man in there somewhere who's also Dario Naharis, who's also uh uh Euron Greyjoy who's also, you know, it, it's one of those things where um, that's one of those things where I was talking about earlier, where I just feel like people are stretching. However, there is book evidence, uh, like you said, for either or, and um, there is now Song of Ice and uh, World of Ice and Fire evidence um, that would seem to defeat Cersei and Jamie. But as Bubba mentioned, um, with the co-authors going on, and of course George did give the approval, it just seems a little weird. Um, that in, this isn't a sex of the horse kind of thing, you know? So that, yeah. that, that's, that's, that's why it seems um, a little more prevalent to me if you're going to try and p- put pieces together. But we don't have the whole story. We don't have the whole story. We will have to find out. What else you got for us, Mike? Uh, yeah.
2: Um, just also wondering what's going to happen with Danny because last time we left off, you know, the, the car was, you know, approaching her. That's just got me really excited because the show may be misleading us or showing us exactly where they plan on going, and I'm kind of excited to see her like you know revert back to stage one of all of her work that just kind
5: of went out the window. Yeah. Well, when we did our reread of Game of Thrones, the whole uh, Vase Dothrak conversation came up um, quite a bit actually. And that was before season six aired. And then we all saw season six. And we're like, Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe that is what's going to happen. I don't know. Kelly, have you given any thought to that?
1: I'm pretty sure that that will, um, won't go down exactly how it did because Georgia said that the, that was, her surviving fire was a one-time thing. Granted, he can go back on that and whatever he wants to put in the books will be in the books. So uh, if that's how she gets out of it, it will maybe, um, Show that maybe she, like the first time it was just happened to her, and now this time she controls it or something like that. So maybe it's still both well, can still be true. I
5: mean, even take the burning of the temple out of the equation sure. and just the fact that she'll be returned to Vastoth Rock. Definitely. Um, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. I think that'll be very likely. And yeah, back to where the, you know, she first had the prophecy and everything, where she, I think seeing how different she is now from how she was then will also be really, um, powerful for, for her character and of course now she's got dragons, so that'll be um, a whole new level of power. And yeah. hopefully she hopefully it's it's impactful, not just like she not like egotistical and going to her head and she's super maniac about it. Not hopefully she doesn't go full Targaryen when she gets there, you know? I'm hoping kinda like what she did in the show, kinda looks like she went full Targaryen there. So I'm hoping there's a little bit more nuance when we have her POV about it. Um that there's we can see her looking at the the women and somehow we can feel the empathy in her and how she wants to free them, like she frees everyone in in marine kind of a thing um and now she just grows her army more and just a lot like that that happens between the starks and the the Lannisters in Westeros, the rule by fear or rule by love, and which one has the lasting you know the staying power and I think that Danny ruling by fear is not her way, so hopefully you know that. Hopefully that works out for her.
5: <laughs> yeah, understood. understood.
3: Can I can I jump in on this, Matt?
5: Sure, absolutely.
3: In the books, there is hints or foreshadowing of Vestothrak getting a little toasty, is the kindest way to put it. With the uh, the old crones there jumping into the lake by the by Vestothrak. so I think there's a good chance that something like this is going to happen. I would imagine dragons are more involved than her just pushing over stuff. But I wouldn't be surprised. I always kind of thought George is saying, oh, that was a one-time thing. That was a one-time thing with Danny, almost as a bit as the author doth protest too much. And I I think he is – I've just seen it for a while in my own reading. I've always thought that another moment like that would happen, and so I don't know. I'm predicting that for the wind's winter, so everybody will see that I was either right or wrong in 2025. (laughs)
5: <laughs> and I will acknowledge uh, Bubba's uh, probably 45th, 100th criticism of George uh, in the last 15 episodes. Of hey, uh, <laughs> and that's just the last 15. We've got, you know, 285
3: Come more. On. I look at how much of my life, how much of my discretionary income I've given to George. Just, I, I love him. I love the story he created. Uh, in the story, I love the story. He hasn't finished.
4: <laughs> Excellent.
5: Um, what What else are we thinking about here, Mike? A, any last thought before we uh, go on to our next caller?
1: What did you think, yeah, Mike? But, what did he say?
5: Oh. Did, um,
1: go ahead. Did you say what you think about Danny?
2: Well, I mean, I I I feel like I'm too led by the show. Because honestly, I, I don't see what of a difference they could do. Because, I mean, I literally crammed in all of this in such a short span of time. And listening to you guys always gives me some different perspectives I'd never realized. So mm-hmm. just watching the show makes me feel like, okay, so it's going to pan out very similar. Instead of like the higher and stuff, it's just going to be like, okay, here's my dragon. And they follow mm-hmm. her and just increase you know, her army. But, I mean, that does sound very lazy, so I'm guaranteeing it's going to be probably much epic.
5: I, I think the more interesting aspect of Danny's story isn't so much about the Dothraki as it is about where she's going to get the ships from. Is it going to be from Victorian? Is it going to be from Euron? I'm hoping um, it's Victorian so bad. They're both such despicable characters. I can't stand either of them. I love Victorian. Yeah. I don't know what it is about him.
1: He is, there is something endearing about him. I don't know either. He is horrible, but there is oh, The way he
5: treats that, the way he treats that girl is horrific.
1: But the narrative, the, the dusty, it makes you feel yeah. like it's the good
2: thing, though. I don't know. It's so hard to explain. I know if you just look at his acts, he's a, you know, a mean, cruel person, but. The sympathy is there, and I don't know why. It makes me question myself as a person, but I kind of enjoy it. A little
3: bit, a little bit. Well, in the well, same like, way so, I he like so rude, so. He's so delusional. He's so delusional and wrong, you almost feel sorry for him. Like, boy, this guy doesn't really know what's up.
1: He's so clueless, yeah, a little bit. But he's so, like, like narrow-minded and, and resolved, I think. You can admire maybe that about him without, like, thinking too much about how he murdered his wife.
3: <laughs>
5: there you go, George yeah. Martin. Achievement unlocked. You made everybody <laughs> like a completely despicable character.
3: You you know what, Matt? I have to say that get back to Danny. I think, you know, people are saying, "Well, what's going to happen in Vase Dothrak? How is she going to get the ships?" I think a lot of us are really wondering what are the 25 items she eats for dinner?
4: That's <laughs> true. <laughs>
5: Uh let's see there's bound to be some some insect uh stuff going on if she's uh, with the Dothraki, right Right
3: we've and got we've got milk. boiled horse milk we have got fried <laughs> horse milk we got it
1: salads <laughs> <laughs> made of all the different colored grasses it's going to be glorious
4: uh, uh, <laughs> but this oh, is well. <laughs> I All right
5: well, Mike, thanks so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate your time, and uh, thanks for spending uh, some time with us on our 300th episode. Really appreciate you, man.
2: Glad I could be here.
5: Uh, let's move back to Becky and see what Becky has to say about the books. Becky, give us some thoughts, your thoughts about the books, anything.
0: Oh, well, uh, I guess I'm most interested uh to see Daenerys where Daenerys exactly lands in Westeros and in her initial meeting with uh our friend Fagon.
5: Hmm. Do so you think that's th- gonna happen,
0: huh? I think so. I think Fagon's going to remove Cersei out of King's Landing. Um and that way we can go back to Casserly Rock because we we hear too much about it without ever seeing it we need to see it on the page and then and then um yeah so Aegon will get her out of there and then Daenerys will come over but where where is she going to come where is she going to land and then when is she going to figure figure out about the white walkers
5: uh yeah that's a great question it, it, it's something that's interesting because of the whole quint uh, Quentin Martell thing. Do you think that the show has kind of taken a lead from that to, to make us think that in the books, Danny might land in Dorne?
0: She could, and that would be right now in the books. A very unwelcome, uh, un- not su- not such a friendly uh, territory for her to be landing at. That's true. Yeah. Um, or. Or and this is me thinking out loud, but maybe instead of her going to Dorne and maybe if she hooks up with Tyrion, that he actually takes her to Casterly Rock.
5: Oh, and comes in from the West, yeah. Could be interesting to see. That yeah. would be an interesting I mean, way be... to see Casterly Rock.
0: Yeah. Um, but no, I, I feel like she's she's either going to land in Dorne or she's going to land on Dragonstone.
5: Yeah. It's it's easy sometimes to forget that in the books, uh, I mean, because in the television show, uh, Tyrion and Danny have been hanging out for, what, a season and a half, but in in the books, they haven't even met yet, right? Mm Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. He just signed with the Golden Company. Right. Or, yeah, something like that.
5: Yeah, and there's there's 50 different armies outside outside the camps as opposed to just a fleet of ships um in the show. So
1: those armies, sorry, it just reminded me of just the description of all the ridiculous armies over there. I'm um, I'm glad <laughs> we didn't get that. I feel like that would have been like blue blue mustache, blue bearded Dario, it just wouldn't have made sense on on the, you know, on the screen as much as on the page, but I'm I am looking forward to getting back to those
5: guys. Sorry. <laughs>
1: <All
5: right. laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. Uh Bubba, any thoughts on uh Danny's landing point? Ooh.
3: Boy, it, in the books it feels so far away I couldn't I, I can't even guess. It it doesn't make any sense. I I have a hard time guessing. It it would make sense in some ways that she went to Dragonstone because One of the themes George does is history repeats itself. So if she's on Dragonstone and then once again invades the Seven Kingdoms from there, to me it kind of makes thematic sense almost that she's truly following in the footsteps of her ancestors. But you know, I I have to be honest, I I don't know, and I and I normally can. I normally can figure this stuff out. So it's killing me. Right. There's
1: some like mysteries that were left at on Dragonstone too that would be resolved, you know, just as much as like going to to um, Casterly Rock would resolve some of that. Just the fact that we have never been there would be great. But the the mysteries that Stannis left when he left there, um, like there were supposedly eggs, there were supposedly um, dragon glass. There's some things that that would actually play into plot wise. I think that would be useful. It just doesn't seem like anything Danny would know of to how to use yet. So it's hard to say that it. it how it goes from her journey to learning how to use them.
5: Yeah, very good. Uh, Anybody have a question for Becky about the books that they want to ask her?
3: Well, Becky, we kind of have talked to each other so amongst amongst ourselves that we, we don't have something new. So is there a theory out there that you have heard, or is there one that you really love that you want to come true?
0: Uh, well, my my favorite theory, I mean, is definitely the GNC, and I'm I'm a strong believer in it. I don't know if every detail that the the original GNC author puts out. Is uh, we might be reading a little too much into it, but I do I do think that the GNC is going to come true in the books.
3: All right, so Becky, because uh, from your everything you've told us, you really feel like a Team Stark member, a, man, mm-hmm. a bannerman of House Stark, so let's name it. If you had to kill two Starks, who would they be? <laughs> um,
0: Rickon and Arya.
3: Damn. That's stone gold. That shows leadership, yep. though, quickly choosing. Stannis yep. would like you. I'm down with yeah. Becky. Yeah,
0: I, I had to think about the Rick and one, but yeah, I I don't see Arya making making her way through the entire series.
3: And there's been foreshadowing about that, you know, Arya's face down in the snow. So, of course, there's also all the times George says that Paris would kill him if he did anything on the page to Arya. So we'll have to see, but. <laughs> Well, you but chose Aria, you chose to your side. I love it.
0: But yeah, but Arya, you know, doesn't necessarily mean Arya is going to die as much as Arya Stark is going to die. And I know right now her arc seems for her to be coming back from the faceless man trainee back into Arya Stark. But when she gets back to Westeros, can she ever really become Arya Stark again.
1: She was so young when she left. It's hard to know how much, like, the impact of her, her first, what, seven years gave her, and yet how long has she been, you know, at least three, two, two years with, you know, without parents, without any Stark living and without her dire wolf being on the same continent, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. she, it's very possible that like her, her story is kind of a tragedy and like maybe even a little bit of a horror.
0: <laughs> I,
1: okay. I speaking
3: will... of horror. Oh, sorry.
0: Oops. No, I was going to say, I will be very disappointed if she does not reunite with Nimeria though.
3: Becky, That's, will that... you be very, Becky, will you be very disappointed if the book starts killing direwolves like the show has
0: yes I, w- I will It'll, that, that will be a heartbreaker well, if, if Shaggy yeah. Dog doesn't make it through the whole series then I've I've wasted years
1: <laughs> <laughs> after my own heart I, I'm on the same, <laughs> same wavelength with you I'm like at least the dogs kill the kids just let the dogs yeah. live
5: yeah. <laughs> well, well. Now, I actually, you know, in the television show, I thought the 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 death of Summer at the hands of the White Walkers was a very metaphoric uh, and fitting ending for Summer. As much as I hated it, I thought that that was a great metaphor uh, for what's to come. But uh, Shaggy Dog sitting out there on an island with a with uh, Rick on, what is that? Skagos? There are a bunch
4: probably.
5: of unicorns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, killing unicorns or fighting unicorns, according to John's uh, John's little warging ghost connection experience. Um, that that was some great stuff. That was some great cl- clues laying. And I remember uh, <clears throat> seeing a um, a couple of online articles recently that were posted that were postulating that. Like it just came up, and I'm like thinking, you know. Bubba dissected that like, you know, two years ago. What's going on with you people? <laughs> all of all of the fans actually already know that, that Rick on his own skagos. Come on. Um, That's cute.
1: <laughs> now that everyone's catching up. Everyone's at a different pace, man. Just be glad yeah. they got there eventually. <laughs>
5: Bubba, Bubba does the math better than anybody else, I'm telling you. Bubba is a, <laughs> the master mathematician. He really is.
3: The and, and this is just for people in the chat room. Speaking of doing the math, that if you add 157 Twitter followers, I'll get to 1,000. At Fit and Trim, that's F I C C E Bubba
5: to 1,000 is the hashtag for the night. Ready? <laughs> uh, what else, Becky?
0: Um, I think that's about it. For me in the books, I mean, I'm also very excited for uh, the She-Wolves, the Winterfell, to come out. I need some more Dunkin' Eggs, that's for sure. No,
5: no, not until Winds of Winter comes out. No, no. Dunkin' Eggs.
0: Yeah, but <laughs> hopefully very soon after Winds of Winter.
5: No, <laughs> I have a feeling that if it comes out very soon after Winds of Winter, then that means that he spent part of his Winds of Winter time on uh I want him to finish Winds of Winter and then start uh any Dunkin' Egg book. That's me.
3: Well I'm wondering how about how about a f- finish a dream of spring too. Come on. Well that's <laughs> what
0: I'm wondering is if he's also working on a dream of spring and trying to make sure all the that he does all the math for the whole series before of Winter, Winter comes out.
1: Definitely.
5: Yeah. Well, I, I think, think that that probably thing. has been part of his problem this time around. It's like he's he's written such a vast amount of stuff. He's trying to figure out, what am I going to pay off? What am I going to just leave for people to think about? I think that that's been a big problem for him. I think that's been kind of a writer's block for him in a way.
0: Definitely. Well, you know, and that was the problem. The mirror needs not that he got himself into... You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's are just more and more knots that he's created.
4: Yeah, I but totally if he agree but there.
0: if he just listens to the podcast Winterfell, then he could probably unknot those knots very easily.
5: Bob has already done the math.
0: Exactly. I've got the spreadsheets,
3: guys. I'll just, I'll <laughs> yeah, and, and
5: and Kelly has about 14 spreadsheets with all of the knots untied.
3: That's true, but if she mails those to George, do you know how many chapters we're going to get about how they got iced to Kisley? I think it'll be... <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: ding, 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 ding. Yeah, he's not wrong.
1: <laughs> oh, it would be so good. Uh, I have a question. Uh, just, I was thinking about, we were talking about Kaith a little bit, and does anyone have, especially Becky Ann, because we don't talk too much about some of these mysteries that don't have answers just yet, but do you have any like wishes for who she is?
0: I'm sorry. I missed the first. Keist,
1: yeah. Keist, oh, the, um, yeah. Shadow binder.
0: I, I, I'm liking the theory that it's the nurse's mother. Know, and who do you think that is? Oh, Daenerys' mother? Danny's mother?
1: Yeah, you think it's, just, it's just straight Danny's mom, not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not like an alternative theory where Danny's mom is not her mom. Okay, I just didn't want to introduce oh, no, new no, theories no, no, in no, the middle. No, no. Cool. no okay. I,
0: because it's one of those, we're not quite 100% sure. I mean, no one else was on Dragonstone that we know of to really verify that she died when she gave birth to Danny, so that's just the theory that I like. Other than that, I I'm not quite sure who else Quaith would be other than just Quaith. A yeah. maybe. <laughs> that's
1: another really cool one that I came across. I like that. But yeah the, the mysteriousness and the, the magic that she seems to have is, is always yeah. intriguing to me. And I always yeah. like, he would hear whatever
5: Speaking it. of that magic, um I I know that Bubba and I have talked about this before um, do we think it's a glass candle kind of thing?
3: That's well, what our good friend Susan Susan always brought up, and, and I think it makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, I thought I thought that it was well. There's that one scene which uh, uh, I'm just trying to remember what book it's from. Uh but yeah I thought I thought it was a pretty clear indication that she was communicating with Danny uh with the with the glass candles.
5: Okay. Yeah. That's 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 one that I really like too. Yeah. Okay. Kelly you're in agreement?
1: Yeah, I almost felt like the glass candles was uh invented to explain Kai <laughs> cuz George you know describes them much much later these things happen with Danny so it's kind of
5: cool.
1: <laughs> How does this make sense? <laughs> I'll right. write it in later, it's fine.
5: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very good. Yeah, the uh the only time that Danny sees uh Kate after the glass candles are introduced in Feast, I guess, would be uh in Dance of Dragons, right? When she comes to her saying, Beware of the perfume shell and all that stuff. Oh,
1: uh, that's true. <laughs> An underrated, I think, uh, mysterious character. <laughs> yeah,
5: very good. Very good, Bubba. Do you have any thought on who Kate is?
3: No, I I tend to believe that she is just a shadow binder, and you know, she's trying to she's trying to work her wares. A lot of people seem to worship. A lot of people seem to worship Danny. The Red Gods over in Esso seem to like her, so I I tend to think she is. I think there are so many other characters there, and we haven't mentioned uh, Marwin. The May, you know, Marwin mm-hmm. on his way. So. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting, and I think, you know, I'd love to once George finishes everything, I'd love to have to hear his thoughts on him watching the TV show outlast his, you know, outpace his creation, and and if he could be truly honest, say anything like, ah, oh, when the TV show did that, oh, I realized that was kind of rough, and I was never gonna do that, or gee, the way the TV show did that, that actually was simple and a good way to just cut to the chase i'd love yeah. to hear that from him. yeah
5: yeah very good uh
3: becky we're gonna let
5: you go thank you so much for calling in we really thank appreciate you. your time um and your great thoughts and we're gonna move on to taryn our final caller for the evening oh wait i unmuted Mike. there we go taryn welcome back uh, now we're right, into uh, the book stuff that you wanted to talk about earlier. I guess.
6: All right. First thing first. I definitely believe Euron is going to be that 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 one villain that's going to make everybody feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> mm-hmm. But can we? Hello. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I I, I don't I, I can't hear anybody. Um, just about his character alone. I just see, I just see him doing a lot of horrible things in the books and the show, all the way around. And he's just, I've been really stuck on one of the sample chapters. Can we talk about that?
4: Sure.
3: Okay. That's um, that's dang. a that's a great that's a great sample chapter, isn't it, Terrence? That
6: that sample chapter messed me up. I, I had nightmares over that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that. I, I haven't felt that way since the Red Wedding. How, I'm like, that—that that is just twisted. <laughs> but, like, um, I, I definitely believe he he's going to be the, the villain that people are going to really look at Martin crazy about. <laughs> and I mean, you can you comment off of that one, I guess.
5: But, well, I, I think that you're on uh, after the, the sample chapter um, that we read. Definitely. Um, is um, the the substitute big bad for whatever else happens? Um, it's it's so hard with the books because you almost feel like the death of Marcella and the death of Tommen is definitely has to come, but we even thought that uh, just being book readers without getting the confirmation of that in the television series. Um, and you, you, I don't know if that leads to Cersei being in power or not, but I do know that it leads to a much weaker throne, which would allow Euron to take over if he wishes.
6: Yeah.
3: Yeah, and I I just want to jump in on this if I could, and I'd say that just like the TV show, Euron hasn't been in it much, and it feels just a bit maybe like for me the Aegon plot did. It feels a bit like. Late for somebody to be getting in, and if somebody's going to get in this late, like I said in the TV section, Euron needs to go big or go home. I personally think that, uh, you know, I, I dare I say I wanted Dance with Dragons to be longer, or A Feast for Crows to be longer, but this chapter should have been in one of this, those books because Euron, he really, for someone who's about to become a big bad, he really doesn't do too many bad things on the page that we find out about. In a Feast for Crows, and so I I think it could have livened that book up to really have this cliffhanger of this just seemingly, you know, completely insane mofo out there on his boat. Uh, I I loved that sample chapter. It did get me excited for uh, the Windsor of Winter. So, George, finish it. Loved
5: it. Yeah. Well, you know, if you had to double your time as Dario Naharis, you'd be crazy too. But, what
6: else oh, you got, oh, first, Terrence? Oh yeah, um, I've been I've been in this little, uh, you know, the little um, empire of warm hole <laughs> Pretty much, it had me thinking <laughs> about Azazel Ahai. Like, is this? Like, I'm looking I'm looking deeper than the actual prophecy now, because I'm looking at like and this. Is just a theory. Man, I'm just gonna throw this out there. and Y'all can talk about this. But um, we with that with that Don of uh, Empire of Don theory, they 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 were talking about how the Danes and how a lot, a lot of these houses came to Westeros, right? So mm-hmm. it it kind of made me think about could could uh could this, could the a Aesir actually be some type of code for actually sacrificing a better life? Because of things got things have became really bad in a certain area. For example, at because if you if you hear the descriptions about sha, it's all charred and dark, and you know the water's poison, the whole nine. And going with all the theories about like the uh, pearl, I think like the Pearl Emperor, you know the uh, Bloodstone Emperor, and everything like that. It's something bigger than. It's something deeper with the prophecy that I feel like it, it, it has taken on to a whole nother, it, it taken on to a whole nother part, like actually being cold instead of actually being taken literally like, like Melisandre is doing. So I was just wondering, I mean, did, did you think anything go have you really thought about anything go, about that?
5: That's an interesting question. A, before we, before we answer that, Taryn, let me ask you this. Well, um, I, as far as uh, Lucifer Means Lightbringer theory goes, and then the one that I presented on, on my podcast, um, do the discrepancies between those make you sway one way or another?
6: I, I kind of think it probably was, a, uh, was some type of catastrophe see, with the moons or whatnot that caused something that happened to happen to Eshaan. But I believe that uh, the the stuff that we we found with the Empire of the Dawn, mm-hmm. that kind of pushed other things, other people to move around to create. their own little uh, scene or whatnot. Like it's you know, shy and not shy, but like the uh, the Danes and you know, the, a lot of the first men. Because we really don't know what the where the first man came from. They just say it came from the east. So I think right. it's more it's more of them. To me that they are sacrificing they sacrifice for something more than just you know, sacrificing for a greater good pretty much. Like I said, I've been in this wormhole, man. It's, it's it's I need another book coming out. <laughs>
5: <laughs> I I wanna read uh before we answer that question, I do wanna read this uh question in the chat room from from Mike Amazon who asks, I really want to know why Benjen is in the Night's Watch. I can't figure it out. Um, I always just took it as the fact that, you know, he was the third son of three sons and never thought he'd be the uh, Lord of Winterfell, and therefore um, it was a noble calling, uh, just the same way that Bran wanted to much like uh, be a member of the the Kingsguard. That was what he his ultimate goal was to be before he got pushed out of the window by Jamie Lannister." Um, so that just wanted to answer that real quick, but, uh, Kelly, let's go to you about the empire mm -hmm. of the Dawn.
1: Well, really quick about Benjen is that there's a, there is a theory that he knew that John was, um, not Ned's son. So he wanted to go to the wall to kind of abdicate himself from any potential questioning or something like that. Just another Uh, theory.
5: (laughs) So that when he shows up, he knows, uh uh-huh. Well, either
1: either he was prepping for that, but it doesn't seem such because he does kind of discourage John when he when John talks about it. So, um, but yeah, there is more I think evidence just that it is a a yeah, especially with the first prologue. It's just the noble's third son, youngest son. Yeah, with a what was it Waymore Royce shows mm-hmm. up there too. It's, it's very common um, as a northern tradition, but it's also it could also be <laughs> more conspiratorial if we wanted it to be. <laughs>
5: Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. But All as
1: right, well, for the Azora High stuff, that and and how, um, I would have to have a lot more to read about that. I apologize. I I, I I'm intrigued and I enjoy the the speculation and I love that Taryn is such a. I always like compare between like if someone being way too skeptical which I think Matt you might fall a little bit into that end of the spectrum and then there's Taryn nice with home. like the yeah, you've got a temperus. I know you've got Taryn on the other end though he's got such an open mind and like thinks about all of these possibilities and makes connections that would otherwise seem like I would never even thought of that I love it so other than praise I really have <laughs> praise and, and, and wide-eyed awe at the, the, the possibilities I'm <laughs> Sorry. how
5: familiar with the empire of the dawn theory are you kelly have you read it Mm-mm. Uh, you can find it on reddit or you can hear my presentation of it in a podcast a few episodes back you
4: know i'll do both <laughs>
5: okay. um bubba any thought on the empire of the dawn
3: i thought your podcast was great about it and i want to give a shout out to taryn who's talking about what happened to a shy how did it end up this way and if the city itself was almost a sacrifice to defeat the uh, great evil the last time. And would everybody be okay if suddenly Winterfell turned into a oh, kind God. of a dead city like a shy to save to save everything? I, I think that's a that's a that that would be the bittersweet ending George keeps talking about. We we won, but we lost. Love it.
5: Wow. <laughs>
4: what do you think of that, Terry? Wow. Oh yeah, that, that
6: I had a thought. I, I told, I think I told um, Ion um, this in Twitter about salsa and lemon cakes. <laughs> it was like a, I guess a foreshadow for being a bittersweet character. But, so I mean, we can laugh at that. You can take it wherever you want to take it. <laughs>
4: uh, very cool. Anything else?
6: <laughs> I, <laughs> He stole. He stole the thunder. <laughs> I can't do anything. <laughs> oh man! Any other
5: <laughs> any other subject, Aaron? Um,
6: not really. All right. I, we, All
5: right. Well, we can we just talk
6: about the show. So. All
5: right. Well, uh, thank you much, man. We really appreciate you uh, taking the time to call in for the three hundredth episode. It's been great talking to you. And it's been great talking to all of our listeners do have a little bit of feedback for the, a song of ice and fire section. First, uh, these are a series of tweets from at real Peterman on Twitter. Um, and this is in regards to, I believe, let's see. I don't, I don't even remember what this is in regards to. That's not good. Um, Anyway, at Real Peterman said, I love the comparison between Dance of Dragons and the main story as for the dragon like Targ stillborn discussions. Oh, this would have been uh our Dunkin' Egg stuff, right, Kelly?
1: Sorry, Sagan.
5: Um Cr-
1: broke up for some reason.
5: I I believe that uh at Real Peterman on Twitter uh is com- is talking about some of our Dunkin' Egg discussions. Yeah. Um he says Love the comparison between *Dance of Dragons* and the main story. Um, as for the dragon, like Targ Stillborn's discussion, Magor had a bunch of them. Prince Daemon had one with Lena. In all these instances, including Danny, foul play was suspected. Targ Blood is already infused with Valerian sorcery, and any more magical slash poisonous tinkering with the pregnant lady seems to destroy the balance of targ dna so uh that was the story of the of the no the princess and the queen that's the one that it was
1: yeah like. i was going to say i wasn't on that one i'm sorry <laughs>
5: yeah sorry to my, to
1: my sorrow i missed that one i was so well sad.
5: baba you were on that one so uh,
3: what do you yeah. think boy. about boy we talk about princess and the queen and i'm going to fall asleep again sorry uh i you know the Princess and the Queen brought up a lot of things. It answered some things. But ugh, I, I didn't get any great theories from it. Sorry.
5: Gotcha. Understood. Yeah, um, I like this as a plausible explanation as to why uh, both Danny and... Uh, I can't remember the princess's name now. Reina Was that her? In The Princess and the Queen?
3: Yeah, see, this is where it gets funny. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, Raina. Raina. She was
5: she was one of the Blacks, not or was she one of the Greens? Now I'm all confused. they were black. Yeah. And now
3: that you're is explaining why the story's so crazy. <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to go back and listen to my own podcast. But yeah, that that's well, that's where the line comes from. Was it Rhaenyra? Right. Rani- Rhaenyra, maybe that's it. Oh, yeah.
1: And she was the Blacks, and and Queen Alicent was the Greens.
5: Right. Okay. Actually, there
1: you so go. I'm so kicking myself that i missed that one i loved the princess and the queen
5: <laughs> did you really
1: i really did <laughs>
5: oh boy you've got a couple of people here on the podcast with you that did not
1: i know So i wanted to change your minds and hearts about it but another time <laughs>
5: <laughs> uh finally i have this email from mariah who says hi i know you're really busy but i had an idea for an episode i don't think you've done yet so here it is I think it would make for a good episode to do now as we have watched this last season. What do us book readers and show watchers think the books are going to do? do? Are they going to go based on what happened on the show? I think it would be real fun to theorize and talk about what book theories don't make sense. Just an idea I had. Thanks for your time. You you are my favorite Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire podcast. Well, Mariah, thank you so much for writing in um that's kind of what we've been doing a lot of is taking the in this book section has been taking the show um, material and wondering if the books are pointing in that direction or not or if it's disqualifying any theories I think one theory that we could definitely say that if you want to use the show as evidence for the books we can disqualify that you're on Greyjoy is Dario (laughs) Naharis (laughs)
1: among many others yeah i think i think adding like an asterisk to the end of every theory at this point saying but in the show (laughs) there's an indication of evidence and we're not going to call this canon but it could imply that there is no (laughs) no no theory to be had here if i
3: could answer mariah's question in that mariah i always wondered well what would be the outcome of jamie Brienne attended by lady stoneheart and what would happen there and the fact that the show has blown past it, seemingly now on the show, where any sort of outcome that could have been, I would mentioned this to Matt. I I think there's a chance now that maybe that implies that Lady Stoneheart dies when this confrontation happens for good, and that Jamie and Brienne kind of make out it make it out okay. I wonder about that. I've always thought that Varies was a member of a kind of bastard targ line across in Essos, and he's because Varies is supporting. Aegon, who I believe is Phaegon in the books, and the show hasn't touched on that at all. One of the things I keep wondering is well, by Verys backing Aegon, he kind of has to die, right? Doesn't Danny have to kill this person who's backing this cloth dragon, this mummer's dragon? And so I start wondering, I go to the show then and think, well, gee, how will Varies on the show pay for the crime that Varies in the books did? I. I definitely think we could do a whole podcast going down this because uh, it's one of the things I certainly think about now that we've had the book so long, and I feel like we've examined so many of these theories so well. Right on.
5: I I agree. I think we should definitely do an episode. Uh, Kelly, prepare us a 50-page doc and (laughs) a 14-page spreadsheet, and we will go to town on it. How about that?
1: Oh, Matt, spreadsheets don't come in pages.
5: Oh, uh, <laughs> heck yeah. <laughs> they just go A,
1: on and on and on.
5: <laughs> but one, I'll make them. I'll make them. Yes. Well, make 14 different spreadsheets. How about that?
1: Oh, yeah. You can insert different sheets into one document for sure. Oh, please. Yeah. I got oh, that.
5: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Guys, thanks so much again for taking time to join me on this 300th episode. It's been very special. I do want to say a quick thing. Uh, We talked a little bit about our friend Susan, who is at Black Eyed Lily on Twitter. Um, She wasn't feeling so well uh, and messaged me tonight saying she wasn't going to make it. Uh, But you will hear her voice on an upcoming Grand Northern Conspiracy podcast, uh, which we will be recording in the near future. I also want to say hi to our friend Stephanie. Uh, who joined us on a lot of the book read stuff. Um, We wish her and her family well. They're kind of going through a a thing, and we want to make sure that we acknowledge that we are thinking of her and her family right now um, in regards to some health issues within the family. So uh, we we really miss you guys. We wish you could have been here, but we totally understand that you can't, and we want to just send another howdy-doody out to our friend John, Uh, at J underscore McGonagall on Twitter. And of course, our buddy Mike Hall at Fifth Column Film. All of our friends over at Small Small Council Podcast, our friends at History of Westeros. Um, Our friend uh, Catfish from the Joffrey of Podcast, missed him. And uh, it's been such an amazing experience for me to be able to produce material that people actually want to consume I cannot thank you listeners nearly enough uh, for the amount of time you've invested with me. I really, really appreciate the way you all reach out, the way we share uh, thoughts and ideas, and um, when you call me out on stuff that you don't like, or whatever. You know, I, I really love um, the, the participation of this audience and, and how much that kind of sense of community has meant to me, Um, it's what keeps me going, it's what keeps me doing this, and um, thanks again so much to you all, and especially thanks to my two guests tonight. Kelly, if people want to talk to you about A Song of Ice and Fire uh, and get a tweet back with an attachment that has a 50-page doc with 14 different spreadsheets in it, how can they talk to you?
1: Absolutely. Uh, Kelly Underfoot, as in Aria Underfoot, uh, on Twitter, and yeah, I usually have Lots and lots of resources is usually what i I end up sending to people, so if you just have any questions, I can send you resources <laughs> and, right. and Matt, I want to thank you I, I know everyone will be doing that tonight, and I just you're amazing, and your self-deprecation is adorable, and we all know you how amazing you are and I just every time you do it, I just need to to remind you ten times how awesome you are so thank you for being you and for being awesome and always supporting everything and everybody who who just reaches out to you so. Thank you.
5: Thank you very much, Kelly. I really (laughs) appreciate it. And as I said uh, at the very beginning of this podcast in the show portion, a guy that I've known now for how long has it been? Bubba, has it been nearly five years now? And uh, I've had so much fun either appearing on your podcast and especially I'm very appreciative of you appearing on so many episodes of Podcast Winterfell Um, I regret that I only got eight, three followers over those five years, but man, I'm trying hard. You know, I'm, I'm going to try and get that average up to at least one a year before the end of this year is out. Um, if if people want to talk to you about a song of ice and fire, uh, how can they do so?
3: Well, Matt, everybody has been thanking you so much, uh, for the great, incredible podcast Winterfalls we've had all 300 of them that I think I also have to thank somebody else, me. And I want to thank me for appearing on all these shows. And the way, listeners, you can thank me is by reaching out (laughs) to me on Twitter and talking to me at Winterfell Pod. At (laughs) Winterfell Pod on Twitter. That's the best way.
5: (laughs) And you can find me at Fit and Trim. That's F I T T E N T R I M. See you later.